Glory to God who has given us salvation in his Son, Jesus Christ. Glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We continue now in our journey in the Epiphany, God's revelation regarding His Son, Jesus Christ, the manifestation of the Lord Jesus to all the world. In today's Gospel lesson, we hear the familiar story of the first miracle of Jesus at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. On the third day, there was a marriage at Cana and Galilee of Galilee. The early church fathers tell us that it is important for us to note the marriage feast takes place on the third day. Because a wedding in the Old Covenant prefigured the relationship between God as groom and the people of Israel as his bride, whom God has called into covenant with him. We also know that Jesus, indeed, is the true bridegroom who has come to call into covenant the new Israel, his bride, the church. And that the union between the bridegroom, Christ, and his church as bride would be sanctified in the death and resurrection of Christ, his hour his hour, which we'll make reference to in just a little bit. And so it is on the third day that Christ rises from the dead, having given his life for his bride. And here we see Christ present at a wedding in Cana of Galilee on the third day, a foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus. Now we all know that from the cross, Jesus entrusted his mother Mary to the care of John. And the early church fathers tell us that John took Mary into his home and that she traveled with him as he went forth from Jerusalem to proclaim the gospel making her home with him in Ephesus, where John would later be. And I kind of get a kick out of this next line that John puts in to his gospel narrative. You can see how much he really did take Mary into his heart as his mother. Remember, John was the youngest of the apostles. Some believe that he may have only been about 14 years of age when he stood at the foot of the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus, when Jesus entrusted her care to him. 
And so John writes, on the third day there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited. And so you can see how Mary has really endeared herself to him as his mother. There was a wedding, and mom was there. By the way, the Lord God was also invited. But this is also very important for us to note, that Jesus indeed was invited. And that is perhaps the first thing that we must mark with our own hearts today. Have we invited Jesus into our hearts? Have we fully given ourselves over to him as a bride gives herself to her husband? Or are we holding something back? Lord, I will give you three-fourths of my heart. What if I said to Christine, Christine, I will give you three-fourths of my heart. How would she receive that? I'm not sure how she would receive that, but I know what I would receive in return. (laughs) So just as Christine doesn't want to hear, I've made room for you in my heart, Christine, or I'm giving you three-fourths of my life, Neither does Jesus, who has held nothing back. He has come to give the whole of his life for us, his bride. He has held nothing back, not his glory, for he descended from the realms of glory, not his very life, for he laid down his life for his bride, and he lives for her. So he desires for us to give all of our life to him. Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated unto thee. Someone should write that down and make a hymn out of it. Lord, take my life, take my heart. Every day I pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I love you, help me to love you more. Lord, I trust you, help me to trust you with all my heart. I always desire to be moving toward faithfulness. And so often I find in my life that in action I move towards unfaithfulness. I put myself before the Lord. I choose the desires of my heart over the choice to give him my heart. And so it begins with invitation. Many of us are familiar with that wonderful painting of Jesus holding a lantern, knocking on the door. Many of us have that, a, a, a depiction of that in our own homes. But what's so powerful about that particular painting is that there's no doorknob on the outside. Jesus knocks and he waits for us to open to him and invite him in to our hearts. Jesus desires to hold the wedding feast within our hearts, within our lives. 
He invites us to commune with Him and to share intimately with Him. We are invited to share intimately with God in the person of Jesus. But just as He laid down His life for us and lived not for Himself, but for His Father and for His Bride, the Church, so we are called to live for Him. But it begins with invitation. Have you ever turned on the TV and heard a preacher saying, Have you invited Jesus into your heart? Well, they may be a little wacky, but they're right as well. We are to invite Jesus into our heart anew every day. Come and make your home within my heart, for he has given his whole heart for you. Jesus is in love with you. Did someone at one point ever break your heart by saying, I love you, but I'm not in love with you? If I had a nickel. (laughs) But there is a difference. When you're in love with someone, you can't imagine your life or your dreams or your hopes or your desires apart from that person. And Jesus doesn't just love you, he's in love with you. He can't imagine life in eternity without you. He can't imagine his plan for salvation apart from you. He is in love with his bride And you are his bride. We are his bride. But it begins with invitation. Opening the door of our hearts to him. And at this wedding feast, the wine failed. Now that was a great embarrassment to people. These celebrations would go on for days. And the wine would flow. You would almost think they were Irish. (laughs) But it was a great embarrassment for a host to run out of wine. And so Mary comes to Jesus and says, They have no wine. And Jesus says to her, O woman, What have you to do with me? Now, first, I want to make a comment on that. That term, O woman, is the same way he refers to Mary from the cross. When he says, Woman, behold thy son. This is a term of respect. It's literally a term of endearment. Today, just before we processed, Annette came in with her red hat. I thought it was Joan for a second. And I said, hey there, lady. And I gave her a hug and a kiss. But I meant respect by that. Sure. 
And so Jesus is not showing disrespect to his mother when he calls her woman. But there's something deeper here as well. Remember that Mary, although she is the mother of Jesus, she also represents Israel and is a foreshadowing of the church itself. And here, Jesus addresses her in the feminine, old woman. He's referring to Israel in the church as his bride. My hour has not yet come. Remember I said I'd get back to that, my hour? When Jesus refers to his hour, he is referring to the time of his passion, his death and his resurrection. He's saying, my hour has not yet come. Jesus is saying, I do not desire to reveal my glory at this time, for I want the sign of my glory to be when I lay down my life for my bride. I desire the hour of my glory to be revealed in my brokenness, in my sacrifice, in the pouring out of my heart and my life for the world, and in my victory over death and my resurrection from the dead. It is in that time that my glory shall be revealed. O woman, O bride of God, now is not the time. But Mary then says to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Without speaking another word to Jesus, she insists that he help these people. Now, I want to point out what's most important here and then backtrack to what's a little bit less important. These are the last words here recorded, spoken by Mary in the Gospel. And what are, what are Mary's last words? Listen to my son. The last words recorded of Jesus' Father, God the Father speaking, is on Mount Tabor, just prior to his passion, suffering, death, and resurrection. And what does he say from the cloud? Listen to him. And so both Mary, Jesus' mother, and God, the Father, their last recorded words in the Gospel are that we are to walk obediently in accordance with the Word of God, Jesus himself. To be obedient And obedience means sacrifice. Obedience means not exalting yourself, but walking in humility. Obedience means putting the Lord and His Word before yourself. And obedience means putting others before yourself. 
Obedience means being a disciple, which comes from the same root as the word discipline. To take up a ministry is to be under a discipline, to be under an authority. Do you have to like it? No. But you are to be obedient. Some of you know very well Deacon Ron Wheelock. Some of you don't know him. He is our deacon at our mission fellowship in Attleboro. He is a disciple. He is under a discipline. He is under authority. He is under the God, under God's word. He is under a bishop. That's his wife. Her authority extends to her sister. (laughs) He's under an archdeacon. Do you always like what I tell you to do? No. Really? (laughs) No. But he's a disciple. Listen to him. Ministry means humility. Following Jesus means walk, walking humbly with our God. It means submitting oneself to God and to his word and to one another. This brings us back to the words of the, uh, our second lesson today, Paul's lesson to the Romans. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another. Notice it doesn't say that you have to like one another. We don't always like one another. I love my brother Robert, who's two years older than I, with all my heart. If Robert was here right now and heard me say that, he'd go right under the pew. I'm much more expressive than he is. Robert and I always haven't liked each other. I'm not sure he likes me now. But I know in his own way that he loves me, and I love him. We are to love one another with brotherly affection. And then Paul goes on to say, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, outdo one another in showing honor. The Word of God doesn't say make sure that you receive honor. It says outdoing one another in showing honor. We are to show honor to the Lord by honoring one another. It also says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. All of these are attributes of a disciple, one who has been placed under a discipline. When were we placed under a discipline? When did we become disciples? When we were baptized. And whether we were fully immersed or not, the symbolism is there that 
What goes into that water is dead, and what comes out of that water is a new creation. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who gave his life for us, Jesus Christ. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. When's the last time someone really hurt you and you said, you son of God by adoption and grace, may the Lord bless you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus turns the water into wine. There's so much more here, but time is growing short. Lady, what do you have to do with me? (laughs) The water represents the old creation, our fallen and broken self. Jesus turns the water into wine. It's symbolic of the new creation which has come in the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Just as that water is turned into wine. And there's so much symbolism here. The six jars, six is imperfect. It shows the imperfection of the old covenant. And it it being turned into wine, which is symbolic of the new creation, shows the perfection of Jesus uh, that he brings. But I, I don't have time to get into all of that, sadly. But just as he turned water into wine, so he can turn us into his likeness. He can deliver us from our old ways and draw us into himself. He calls us to be a new people, not the old. The old exalts itself. The new exalts the Lord. Remember, Mary, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The old tears down, the new builds up. The old honors itself, the new honors God and others. The old seeks its own will, the new seeks the will of God. The old hardens their hearts, the new softens their hearts and repents when they have fallen into sin. We are called to be a new people. We are called to be wine, water that's been changed. Just as Jesus made a substantial change in substance from water to wine, so we are to be substantially changed by the grace and power of God. We cannot do it ourselves. We can never do it. I've tried. doesn't work. But he can do it. Invite him in. Hear that knock, it's the Lord knocking on your heart. Open the door and he shall come in. And he shall make all things new within you. Glory to God, who has given us salvation in Jesus Christ. Glory to God, 
for his son has laid down his life for the bride. Glory to God, who has manifested himself and his love for us in Jesus Christ. Glory to God forever and ever. Amen.